This is the Kosher Sommelier Podcast. I'm Andrew Breskin, the Kosher Sommelier. Each show, we will discover some of the amazing stories and personalities in the world of wine. Wine tasting, wine making, fine dining, and one of my favorite subjects, the wine business. So pour yourself a glass and enjoy the conversation. Welcome, everybody. This is the Kosher Sommelier Podcast, and I am your host, Andrew Breskin. I am the Kosher Sommelier. Really wanted to thank you for listening today. Really appreciate you tuning in. We are going to have a great time on this journey together. Um, The goal of this podcast is to elevate and inform the kosher wine drinker. I want to give you some information. I want you to meet the personalities. I want you to learn the science and the history, Uh, maybe a little less science, a little more history. Um, We're going to go through some ideas about tasting, wine tasting, wine regions, you know, different philosophies about winemaking, and of course, my personal favorite, um, not to get too nitty-gritty, but the business of wine. You know, how does wine get from the vineyard through all the various all the various layers of um, distribution, etc., until it finally makes its way into your glass? We'll try to bring that up a little bit with some of our guests. We are going to have guests today. It's just me, though. But in general, we are going to have some guests, um, some winemakers from around the world, some local personalities here in San Diego that people might find to be of interest. And we are going to uh, travel with you and share with you some of our journeys and meet the people along the way. Um, again, this is going to be a podcast for, you don't have to be necessarily a kosher wine drinker. It's going to be pretty um, pretty available to everybody in terms of access. There's not going to be too much inside baseball um, in terms of the kosher stuff because in the end of the day, it's about the wine, and we want to keep it that way. But we want to also keep it relevant for those people who are not going to be going to, uh, you know, Robert Parker hundred point dinners and tasting those labels. But you know, wines that maybe more people can relate to in the kosher wine drinking community. So today, I wanted to take this um, episode zero is what we're calling it to introduce. We just introduced the podcast and what it's going to be focusing on. But I wanted to introduce myself as your host. Um, again, my name is Andrew Breskin. Um, my day job is the sommelier and founder of Liquid Kosher. It's a wine retail website and wine club based all the way here in beautiful San Diego, California. Um, and the reason I call myself the Kosher Sommelier is a number of years ago, I took the sommelier test, the introductory level test, and I have a little handy-dandy certificate that I frame and keep in my closet uh, to prove that I, yes, did have that occasion. But, you know, the certificate is one one thing. It's more about the experience and more about uh, the journey and, and participating in many different areas of the wine industry. And um, as I'll tell you, I've been very fortunate to be a part of many of those um, facets of the wine industry. And it's been pretty interesting and exciting along the way. So I've always been kind of fascinated with the idea of wine. I just remember my parents who are not wine drinkers by any stretch. Um, We did not grow up with table wine during the week. We did not grow up with fancy bottles of wine, Um, you know, at the Shabbat table. It wasn't really part of the experience. But, you know, people would come over and bring over nice bottles of wine 
we had um, where we grew up this like wine cellar closet that it was not refrigerated. It was not um, it was enclosed by this like metal gate that was completely, you know, you could reach your arm through. There was no there was nothing, you know, that resembled a cellar about it, except for the fact that it had these built in wine racks in the wall. It was under the stairwell. Um, eventually that little space became the dog's nook but before that it was what we would call the wine cellar because that's what it was it was a wine cellar people would come over and we would just put you know whatever gifts they would bring over for you know hostess gifts or we would just stick them in the wine cellar and there they would sit um you know forever because we would never open them it looked really cool to see these bottles in there. And I just remember one bottle that I just, I can never get the image out of my mind. It was a Chateau Neuf de Pop. And that's a wine that is very distinguishable on the outside because typically the bottles come with this like embossed logo of the region um, on, the, on the glass. So if you can imagine like a Chardonnay type of a bottle and then on the outside, <coughs> On the outside, it would have this like mold of the the emblem of the region Chateau de Pop. It had this like insignia of the Pope, and, a, and a, I think it even has a cross on it. And it says on the outside of the bottle in molded glass Chateau de Pop. Um, the label would have some Braille on it. I think that was maybe traditional for that time for the region. Um, it's probably not Braille, but just it's textured um, and. It was just really cool, and as a as a kid, you see these things, and it kind of makes an impression, I guess. Um, from there, I just was attracted to looking at wine bottles, and from there, you know, when I became a little bit older, I'm not gonna say exactly how much older, but I became became more interested in um, tasting and understanding the difference between wines from different regions, and perhaps you know which ones I would gravitate towards personally. Obviously, the French labels are going to be a little more exciting, um, not in terms of design, but in terms of the language and the label. You know, what does all that stuff mean? What do the different regions come to represent? And so I guess that's maybe why I became a French wine lover, just seeing the French bottles to begin with. And these weren't like, you know, fancy schmancy bottles, just, you know, they happen to be from a certain region. And those are the ones I happen to remember. So from there in college, you know, it was helpful to look a little bit older. I would go with some friends to local wine shops and participate in their in their five dollar tastings just to you know get you to buy something. They'll open up six bottles of wine, you pay five bucks. And from there, you know, if you go for you know a few months every single week, you're gonna end up tasting dozens and dozens and dozens of wines. So doing that, I was able to start to tell the difference between different varietals. Um, a basic, basic distinction of different regions and, and what are the very elementary characteristics of certain regions. Um, and then you start to develop a little bit of a, um, you know, preference and profile and, and you start to see, well, gee, you know, I guess my tastes are gravitating towards this direction and the other direction. But the, the fun part for me was doing some blind tastings and trying to figure out, you know, I, I've read in a book that a Merlot should taste this way. And I've read in a book that, 
a Cabernet should taste this way, but what about on the palate? You know, what about in the glass? You know, so doing those kinds of tastings where maybe it was what's called single blind. You know, they give you the list of wines and they don't tell you which ones you're tasting, but you have an idea by process of elimination which one's which. That's really, really kind of a fun challenge. Um, and then, you know, full-on double blind where they just pour you a glass of red or white or sparkling and you just got to figure out what it is. I mean, that's a really exciting tasting method and uh, really a great way to learn about wine and kind of humbling because usually you don't get it right, but it's it's a really great experience to remove any sort of natural biases or barriers that you might have towards certain types of wines by just tasting it blind and saying, oh, well, I didn't know that I liked Italian wine, and you know here it is. This is my favorite out of six. It was an Italian wine that I always thought that I never enjoyed it. Anyway, so I was doing these kinds of tastings. I would try to go on the nights before they switched out the menu for the week, meaning if you had on a wine bar um, a certain amount of wines for the week, um, at some point they'd have to switch them out for next week's wine. So I would go on the night before they switched it out so you get a better deal maybe you know you had to make those college college dollars stretch a little bit farther get a better deal and try to taste some more wine so we would go um, do a full-on tasting sit down you know after closing time met some really important um, <clears throat> mentors in that process for tasting and uh, would stay after hours and just finish up all the uh, different wines and spend the time learning or what we call doing research which is really just tasting and talking um, from there I uh, I decided that if I was going to be tasting this much wine, I got to find a way to pay for it. So I started trading wine a little bit, taking advantage of some um, discrepancies in the market, buying here and selling here, and doing so online. In that process, um, I was kind of looking for some. I had some great mentors in the tasting space. I was looking for some mentors in the business space. There was a website called Wine Commune, which was the eBay of wine. It was pretty decentralized and probably illegal, but they made it work for a time being. And there was one fellow on there who had like the highest feedback, you know, 50 times as high as anybody else um, on there. And he had a local zip code. So I pulled the guy's phone number from the listing and uh, I gave him a call. Um, this is before texting, really, not to date it too far back, but you know, it wasn't awkward to, to call someone, especially in a business context. I said, hey, you know, I'm getting into wine. Um, I noticed that you're local and I'm kind of looking for work and see if you're hiring. This is not the kind of person I, I came to find out who was gonna hire anybody, but um, having, a, having a big heart and, and also realizing I wasn't gonna say, um, I wasn't gonna accept a no, he said, "Well, I'm not going to hire you, but if you want to come down to um, come down to my warehouse, I'll take you around for the day and show you what I do." So, of course, I didn't think twice about meeting a perfect stranger in a warehouse in a industrial part of town. Drove down there, um, and I saw this the most massive and diverse, wonderful collection of wines from California and Italy, and and of course Bordeaux and Burgundy, Champagne. All these lovely bottles that I've only seen in magazines and only seen on wine lists and restaurants were just right there before me. Um, and that was my introduction to the private seller space, going around the country and buying private wine collections. I ended up um, partnering up with this person. We would um, I would refer deals and, and um, try to work the numbers, and we would go in on things together. 
and uh, partner in that way. And in that context, I got to travel. I got to taste amazing wines and really do some cool stuff. And it gave me a great <clears throat> background and education in fine wines. Um, you know, some of the finest wines in the world. You know, the first time, I remember the first time that I bought a wine to resell that was over $1,000. I remember the first time I bought a wine to resell that was over $10,000 a bottle. Uh, it was terrifying, but I kind of, you know, closed my eyes and I just went for it. I remember this person um, asked me to drive a case of 1945 Mouton to Los Angeles for delivery. Um 1945 Mouton is a wine that a few years ago we sold the bottle for around eight or ten grand, but back then it was probably you know four or five grand a bottle. And I said, Drive a case of 1945 Mouton to Los Angeles? I mean, like, what happens if I get rear ended? He said, Well, listen, it's just wine. In the end of the day, it's just grape juice. Don't even worry about it. And so it was, it was a really kind of a fun. And, uh, you know, don't make too big of a deal attitude about wine that I had from the beginning, which I think has kind of kept me grounded personally in not getting too wrapped up in the, uh, in the, you know, stereotypical, very kind of elite, exclusive league of fine wine drinking, but just to keep it kind of down to earth and keep it basic and that's going to be my my approach for the podcast. But to keep it down to earth and basic, because after all, it's just grape juice. So carrying on with the story in the private seller space, did that for a while. Um, went to graduate school and in the middle of that, decided that um, for personal reasons, I was going to only drink kosher wine. Um, I remember selling off my non-kosher wine collection, some really nice bottles that never had an occasion to drink. Um, there was some Chateau de Cam in there. There was some really nice burgundies and, you know, just, uh, that's what I felt was the best decision for my life at the time. Um, and it's been, it's been a great challenge since then, but going to the wine business part of it, I was thinking, gee, you know, I just don't see too much out here that's going to replace the quality of non-kosher wine that, that I was drinking at that point. Um, there are some nice labels, some from Israel and from California and a couple odd bottles here and there from France, you know, decent stuff, but nothing that was life changing, nothing earth shattering. Uh, you can get by for every day. This is already, you know, 13 odd years ago. And, um, but nothing that was really like a wow moment for kosher wine. So I kind of had in mind at that time that it would be worthwhile to look into whether or not the kosher wine world could be a little bit more elevated. So at that point, I had started a website with my roommate called um, Kosher Wine Outlet, and KWO was what it was the uh, shorthand version of that. And Kosher Wine Outlet was going to be basically taking some experience that I had in the private seller space that I just mentioned and translating that into kosher. So we did find some like really cool private collections of people who were hoarding and some wines at auction that I was able to pick up and resell at a really tremendous value and just sell some really, really good kosher wines that I thought were remarkable, 
um, especially for the price, and put them out there with a little bit of a background, a little bit of a story, and let people know about something that I found that I thought was worthwhile, and hopefully people would uh, taste it and, and share my conclusion that it presented an excellent wine for the for the price. So that was Kosher Wine Outlet. Um, eventually, I um, I heard about this winery in Bordeaux. It was a family family-owned winery in Bordeaux that was producing some really, really high-quality and small production wines. So kind of took a little gamble, um, brought over a couple bottles to taste. It wasn't cheap, but I really felt that it was um, a good quality. It had kind of all the hallmarks of some of the previously um, enjoyed wines that I have had, that I have had um, from the same region. And uh, again, just had some had some mentors in the space, and and they helped me facilitate the importation of like ten cases. You know, it came in on a 747 from Paris to San Francisco, and then we shipped it back ground to San Diego here. And then I had my ten cases, my first uh, exclusive import, if you will. And I was it was a little bit terrifying, I gotta say, because it was it was a big money. The exchange rate was super high, um, but I put it out there and I put a recommendation on it. I did a nice little write-up, and then um, thanks to some other positive press, the wine got outside of my own efforts. Um, it was able to sell, and then you know I just went back and tried to do it again. So ten cases became fifty, and fifty became three hundred, and then we had a full-on um, importation company going, and. From there, just you know, the kosher wine world naturally got a lot larger as people have been getting more into food and fine dining and and that whole stuff. It's a great scene, um, the foodie scene and and the kosher wine scene. So we've had a lot of you know expansion of the people who are interested in learning about fine wine, and it's been it's been really excellent to be part of this journey right now because I really feel that after all these years of doing it finally kosher wine is in a great spot where people are understanding that there's more than one style there's more than one approach um, there's more than one voice to listen to to get guidance and we're really in a terrific space so what I hope to offer you as listening to this podcast is bringing you my experience of going to wine country seeing the vineyards walking in the vineyards meeting the winemakers, interviewing them, tasting from the barrel, um, going to wine dinners, hosting wine tastings, um, bringing all that experience in the context of my you know, extensive professional experience in the broader wine world, you know, tasting thousands of kosher, <coughs> sorry, ha, I wish, tasting thousands of non-kosher wines um, over many years in the, in the business. And meeting lots of different personalities so giving you the context of the kosher wine drinking world um, in its place in the larger world of, of drinking wine and enjoying wine and winemaking and of course the wine business so hopefully my personal experience and hopefully you know my my personal journey can give a little bit of a different take on the wine drinking experience of today's kosher consumer and today's kosher wine lover. So I really appreciate that you've been listening and that you've been able to follow us through this through this time. 
And I would just say that stay tuned for the upcoming podcast. We've got some, a couple great interviews lined up um, with winemakers from different parts of the world. And then we're going to have some more interviews with some sommeliers, other sommeliers about tasting, their personal philosophies about tasting. We're going to have some business podcasts for those who are interested in in, uh, the business of wine. And then we're going to go from there. Just throughout the journey, we're going to record some presentations that I do. I'm going to record some um, meetings and consultations that we do here, too, to help other people in their personal wine business journey. And just keep it open. And if you have requests for stuff that you want to know about, stuff that you want to hear, you know, feel free to contact me um, and I can make that happen for you. And the best way to reach me, the best way to reach me is going to be on Facebook at Liquid Kosher uh, or on Instagram at Liquid Kosher. We'll get a uh, separate Instagram and Facebook for the podcast, but until then, just uh, send me a message at Liquid Kosher on Facebook, and I will be able to respond to you and address your needs at that time. So again, thank you so much for joining us today on this first podcast. You know, appreciate your patience through all the little glitches and editing stuff. You know, it's a little bit challenging in the first episode, but you know what? We're only going to get better. We're committed to doing this, and we are really appreciating you being on the journey with us. So thanks again, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode. Be in touch, and thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening to the Kosher Sommelier Podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where you can be part of the Kosher Sommelier community. That's Kosher, S-O-M-M. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.